Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to Enlightenedhood. Today, in the wake of several states that have passed bills to limit abortions this year, including Ohio, Missouri, Kentucky, Utah, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and Louisiana, just to name a few, we are talking about some things today that we have been taught to feel really uncomfortable about, including abortions and our bodies and our reproductive rights. And I have the amazing and very insightful Nicolette Rowe. She is a community advocate and an activist, and she's really going to walk us through how we can take the shame out of this relationship with our body and how we can talk to our kids about it and how we can really step back into our feminine power. So yes, when we hear the word abortion, a lot of us, it makes us, our stomachs hurt a little bit because that's what we've been taught. That's what we've been told. And to be completely honest, when it comes to women's reproductive rights, it's a very sensitive person. At times, I've always felt like ignorance is bliss because I just get so upset and feel so hopeless. But now that I have a daughter, I think it's just so important for us to know, to understand, and to stand up for what's right. And whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, I think this is a safe space where we can all listen to what each other has to say, respect it, and really understand that there's not one blanket approach to abortion or our bodies and that we all have the right to choose what to do with our own individual bodies because they're ours. Nobody else owns them. And as the most boiled down version of it, that's the truth. So here's Nicolette. So let's talk about everything that's happening right now. I, okay. Where do we even start? I mean, I think I found your social media shortly after kind of going public with my shouting my own abortion story Mm -hmm. um, which is different than the narrative we normally hear which is um, you know you didn't want this pregnancy and or you were irresponsible or something and my abortion story is very different in that I tried for my pregnancy I was very disappointed when I, um, like early on in my pregnancy, the embryo had stopped growing. Mm. And so I wasn't getting like what I had planned out of that. I wasn't getting a baby out of that. And so I had opted to get a DNC surgery because my body was still producing the HCG hormone. And so even though I wasn't growing, the embryo wasn't growing anymore, Every day I was still feeling nauseous and fatigued and um, still gaining weight. And so I decided to just opt for the DNC surgery so I could kind of just, like, start from a clean slate. And also, I had also had options given to me, Mm -hmm. like possibly wait for a natural miscarriage or... Um, using the pills at home in private, and I just decided for my myself that I just decided for the DNC surgery, and so that for me was one of the reasons I decided to talk about my abortion. One, because it was true, and two, to help others understand that there are millions of reasons why someone may seek to have an abortion mm-hmm. um, procedure. 
and we can't blanket um, and just generalize what those abortions look like. And we also can't think that they're not normal because they are normal. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I kind of fell upon, I think, your page. Um, and I really was like looking for, I, I had, so I was really grateful that I had lots of love and support from my family and my, um, my healthcare providers. I had no, like I had no judgment whatsoever um, in making that decision. And so I felt grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, cause I know that's not the case for so many other women. Right. And so I think I was just looking for even more mothers who want it, who were there, like wanting to lend support because I want to be that for other women and for other mothers too. Um, and, and that was around the same time that I think Alabama had passed that early abortion ban mm-hmm. more recently. And so it's just been something that, yeah, everyone's been talking about. Yeah. Wow. And so it almost has all come together at the same time for you. Yeah, definitely. The internal and the external. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's something I've always known about, you know, like we always hear about abortions, but not necessarily in, in a positive way. Right. And so I really want to break that. Yeah. Um, because the reality is that, you know, one in five women will likely access an abortion procedure. And again, for a million different reasons. Um, so it is really normal. And I just want people to know that they don't have to be ashamed of that or feel guilty and that they too, even if they're disappointed like me and that mm-hmm. my planned pregnancy didn't go the way I wanted to, that you don't have to have negative feelings um, around that. You can have a successful abortion story and still be loved and still be supported. Yeah, I think the support is so important. And especially now with especially male lawmakers telling Mm. us that it's not okay and we don't have the support. It just feels so disempowering. Uh, Exactly. And I I also think that it's so funny that I actually didn't feel courageous enough to share my own story of my abortion until my partner had decided that he wanted to speak out about how he had personally benefited from a woman's uh, right to access abortion. Um, and so then I was like, yeah, more men should be speaking up about, you know, it's for every pregnancy or for every abortion that's been had, there's a man that has benefited from that. Oh, wow. And so the conversation should really be men saying, this is how this has helped my life, or this is how this decision has benefited me directly. That's so true. And just so powerful. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Freakonomics documentary? I think it's a documentary or series. What's it called? Freakonomics. No. So they did, there was this section that they actually had on abortion where it talked about when more laws were passed to allow women to choose the right to have an abortion, that crime rates went down. Oh, that is so interesting. Right. And I'm not surprised. Right. Yeah. Because then people aren't, they have the choice and then they're not in this position where they're struggling and having to break in or have so much pressure to provide for their families. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally believe, well, and know that all things are connected. 
and we and just by knowing like <laughs> our species as a human beings, like we cannot ban we can't make bans on how people move through life mm-hmm. and the decisions that they make because it doesn't go away. It just means it's still happening, but in now in a more unsafe way. Yeah, you're totally right. So I'm not surprised by that at all either. And then another thing that I've seen and I'm sure you've seen that just also makes so much sense and makes me just think seriously, what the fuck is that if a a woman can have sex with as many men as she wants, but within a year's Mm -hmm. time, she can only give birth to one child, where as a man, he has sex with a hundred women and could have a hundred babies in a year's time. Absolutely. I was just telling someone about how I have an uncle who has probably around 25 kids that we know of. Wow. And when we think of, you know, restrictive abortion laws or how we want to prevent people getting um, to not to have having pregnancies, we don't even think of uh, creating laws that um, that dictate what men do with their bodies. Mm hmm. But you're right. They can have a hundred kids in a year if they want. That's and crazy. They can only produce one. So mind blowing. I think this shift. Yeah, this shift needs to be more um, on men, but that will never happen because you know men are making these laws. Yeah, I think it's. We, I mean, we've definitely seen it in the last few years with women rising up and we're starting to use our voice mm-hmm. more and gain more power. But then it, when these laws go into effect, it just seems like we're taking five steps back. I know. I absolutely agree with that. And I also feel like people are surprised by this, of course, because we do feel like we make progress. We say that we value these human rights. Women's rights are human rights. But I also feel like just with in the American context that I am not surprised because of our history Mm -hmm. Um, and because of us being so young as a country and how that leadership has really not shifted. Like, yeah, I think our beliefs as a society may want to we want to be more progressive, but the systems and the structures that uplift that have not. Yeah. And so that what needs there needs to be a systems change yeah you're so right and I don't really know the answer to this but I'm just thinking out loud of those countries and those societies and those cultures that are all matriarch based what Mm -hmm. I wonder what the right to choose looks like in that kind of culture yeah I bet and I and this is just my own opinion this is not I haven't studied this but I think that it's probably church and state are absolutely separate. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would assume that that is true. Yeah. It just, it makes me so sick to my stomach that I almost try not to even learn about it, which seems silly just because it makes me feel so hopeless. But when you started to learn and educate yourself more on it, where did you even begin? You know, I asked myself that same question, knowing that we're going to have this conversation, and I really feel like it goes all the way back to the ways in which we learn or don't learn our own bodies. Mm. Because really, I was learning about sexual and reproductive health before I had the language to describe it. Yeah. So whether or not someone was going to share that knowledge with me, I mean, and I feel like 
when we don't, because I also too, I get, I carry the weight of others, people's emotions mm-hmm. and, on me. And so when things do get very heavy, I just want to be like, I'd rather look away. Yes. But the activist in me is like, no, I need to make change. Like uh-huh. things that head on. Yeah. And so, so we do have to have these conversations and think of ways to create change. But I, so I feel like um, it's the only way to actually to actually move the needle closer to progress um, is through sharing knowledge and in teaching because I was, I think it began, you know, as soon as I ever had hormones mm-hmm. um, and like you're discovering your own body, even though you don't have the um, technical terms for what your body is. Yeah. And so I feel like it should my teaching should have started when I was young through like sex positive parenting and it didn't. And so that led me to have like basically a tough time through adolescence and like being a teenager and young adulthood to kind of figuring out who I am, who is my, am I comfortable with my body? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Am I ashamed of obsessed by my body? Am I like fearful of my vagina? Like those, I had to work through that and navigate learning that to see, to realize like who I am and to come into my own truth um, because I wasn't taught sex positive parenting prior. And we're just taught to be so afraid of pregnancy, especially yeah. at a young age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many other things too, other than like I, as a, as a parent, I understand. Yeah. We don't want our children to be young parents but when we step away from that fear we can take so many other steps to prevent pregnancy almost without even talking about it mm-hmm. you know so we don't have to use fear-mongering tactics when we raise our children mm-hmm. uh, to deter pregnant to deter teenage pregnancy so it's funny to me because it's almost like we're so afraid of that happening that's just like drilled in us (laughs) not I mean my dad always used to tell my sister and I like you can't get married and you can't have children until you're 27 it was like a mantra like we had to say that we weren't going to do that and then of course it didn't work (laughs) because that's unrealistic it's not based in like any knowledge any teaching um and so that just doesn't work to drill in those ideas into our kids do you know what his reasoning for that was why he, I think he felt for himself that that would have been 20, 27 or 28 was the age where he felt like he was mature enough and financially mm-hmm. stable enough mm-hmm. to um, provide and to make a commitment as marriage, probably in a in like a, an emotionally mature way. I see. Okay. So I think it was good intentions behind that thinking, but again, without explanation, without teaching, like, like, sharing knowledge behind that I mean it's it's just not gonna work right so then what age did you become a mother so I became a mom so I so I'm not married now I have a um I have a partner you know we plan on building our family but so I had a um, child that I wasn't married my daughter's five now her name is Cora and I was 21 and then just turned 22 a month after a month after I had her um 
And that too was like when I was still learning about reproductive health, as yeah. crazy as that sounds. No, it's not crazy but I at didn't, all. I didn't even know what the uterus really was. And I was pregnant. You know, like I did. I knew the foundations of that, but I didn't know anything about the placenta and the health benefits. I knew nothing about midwifery or doulas. I was just told to kind of like do what you've seen. Mm-hmm. And if you're raised, and so my mom was raised Catholic and mm-hmm. she raised us Catholic as well. And so it's a, it was a taboo to talk about sex. Yeah. It was just, um, and it was even like a family joke that you have like Catholic guilt. Yep. And so that was real um, <laughs> for me that you don't talk about sex and you wait till marriage. And um, so that made me as a teenager just so confused with like raging hormones. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So then how was your pregnancy um, received? So it from my mom herself, she was like loving and accepting right away. Um, I have a stepmom too, who I consider my mother. So she was very accepting and loving right away. And then my dad absolutely received it in the worst way. And then of course came around and now he loves Cora. Yeah. But, but he received it terribly mm. because he just felt like, you're not going to be financially, I wasn't, I wasn't independent then. So I also understand why he wasn't really thrilled right? because he had tried to drill in us, like wait until you're 27 or 28. Yeah. Um, and so having been surprised, cause I think to him, he was like, that's my birds and bees talk. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and so there wasn't room for like anything to be flexible after that. Mm. And so he was not happy at all, but, um, but I could understand why. Yeah. You saying that just made me think that, I mean, I, my husband and I were married for two years before, almost three years before my daughter was born. But even when I first found out I was pregnant, there was still just this weird baggage of feeling like that teenager that was pregnant and just all the shame that surrounds that and just telling everybody. And, you know, it took me a really long time to be like, wait a second, I'm a grown ass woman. I'm married. I, you know, and I, it's just so great. It is like Catholic guilt almost that just, you know, (laughs) goes with you throughout the years. And we don't learn how to grow and mature with our own bodies. Yeah. Absolutely. And so now as a mother, I really try to think of ways to undo that for my own self and then break that cycle, especially when raising daughters and boys. Like if we if we think of having these conversations, when we think about reproductive health and rights and justice mm-hmm. and think of teaching especially our sons, I think that that would create the change. Oh, yeah. For generations to come, um, because that's when that learning starts or that's when we give them that foundation of like what they will choose their values to be mm-hmm. and how they'll think of people and how they move through the world. Yeah. And so I think so. I mean, I, I have six sisters. So and I and I have a daughter, so I've never had a son. Um, but I feel like, so all I know is like womanhood right? and 
I feel like when I do have a son, though, I'll raise him just to be like the best man in the whole world. Yes. Because um, he'll be like knowledgeable of yeah all things women. And he's going to be, yeah, just surrounded by so many women. Yeah, that too. And he'll just have so many matriarchs to look up to that he'll have to stand up for women's rights. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the books I was just reading was talking about how the divine feminine is coming back, but it's not just about women rising up, but men equally recognizing their feminine energy. And that's what's going to also create the change. I love that so much. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. It's up to us to raise those men. Yeah. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So are you doing, so you have a young daughter and I have a young daughter, but she doesn't understand language yet, but are you doing anything with your daughter now to really just help set that stage and unwind everything? Yeah, I think, you know, children are so smart that even before they develop language, you're communicating with them in so many other ways. And so I think that there's probably an appropriate, I mean, you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't talk about naming vaginas or something when she's like 12 months or maybe you would. So one, one thing um, as just like a best practice that I always do is naming parts of our bodies with what they are called. And we don't give like fancy names for them or anything. So, you know, I'll say breasts or I'll say penis or vagina or we'll read books that are age appropriate about body parts, mm. basically so that, I mean, for a couple different reasons, um, of course, like, I worry as a mom about anything happening to her or like sexual assault. Yeah. And so I make sure to, I had a girlfriend who is a lawyer, and she, um, she had had many cases where if a child um, had like molestation or rape happen that oftentimes the person who uh, was like the perpetrator would use a name like for their body part. Mm -hmm. So if the child referred to her body part or her genitalia as a flower and she said, someone touched my flower, you know, it's not, you're, they're not able to communicate maybe what's happened to them. And so just for a safety reason, a best practice, I always name the body part and secondly um i want to normalize the names for them because it's a part of us and that's normal and that's okay um and also to let her know that our naked bodies are not sexual yeah (laughs) until we make them sexual but like just you is how and who you are um is not innately sexual Mm, i love that yeah, you just made me think of how when kids will say like penis, we just laugh and say, oh, that's so funny <laughs> instead of, you know, yeah. giving it the power that it should have. Yeah. Um, another thing I think we we do too is um, so naming what they are, but also being really open and transparent about our bodies and being curious about them. So just the same way in which, you know, our naked bodies are not innately sexual or our body parts in themselves are normal um, mm-hmm. and don't have to be sexualized. Um, I also, 
if she is like touching herself or touching her genitalia or something, I'll very, and we're at the dinner table, I will very clearly say, we don't touch our vulvas at the dinner table. Please go wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> like normalizing those things so that she, one, I don't shame her into being curious about her body because mm-hmm. for kids, they just receive bodies and the things it does as really interesting and curious and as fact yeah right because they have not been sexualized Mm -hmm. and so um I really think that we can learn a lot from children if we are almost more like them yeah um in their innocence of like just receiving things as fact and um and so I will tell her if you we don't touch our vulvas right like at the dinner table um people are private and so that's something they do in private you would do that in your bedroom or in the bathroom by yourself Mm. so there's activities that you do in specific places I think that helps compartmentalize for children right Mm -hmm. like oh this is appropriate and this is not rather than like sexualizing that at all because it's not yeah and rather than like shaming them for being curious about their own self their own bodies yeah and I didn't have that and so that's what led me into having you know I I started having sex at 15 absolutely having no knowledge about how to take care of my own health holistically let alone my own sexual health and um, how to have and practice safe sex um and so I was making uninformed decisions and I think that if I actually had all the knowledge that I have now I would have made different decisions um rather than like just getting off lucky that you know I didn't have a pregnancy in high school or something that's really powerful I think we can learn a lot from that and you're right take away the shame from it Mm, yeah I think that's a big thing because it does stay with you, right? Like even after you're an adult, you're married, you planned your everything, and yet you still have that like guilt. And I hated, hated, hated that feeling until I became like way more empowered. Yeah, it spans generations. It does, and I hate that. So I was like, I'm going to break this generational curse for her, Cora, so she doesn't have to feel this way. I love that so much. So tell me about the activist work that you're doing in terms of women's health and reproductive rights. So I feel like I actually got into doing community organizing and activism, not so much in reproductive health until I started, because I was really passionate and drawn to um, racial justice, just Mm -hmm. off of aspects of my own identity. And then, of course, intersections of your identity overlap, and they're all connected. All all forms of oppression are connected. And so I felt like that work in doing racial justice work um, just merged into reproductive justice under social justice in general. Mm. Um, And so... Yeah, I would say I'm not an expert, right? Like, I I don't have, like, a degree in public health. Um, I haven't studied it. And so I would say I I am not an expert on this topic. All I know is um, my own 
activism and social justice, community organizing, and my own experiences being a person of color, being a woman, being a mother, um, make give me the knowledge that I have. Um, so it really started like in like probably a year after I had my daughter. I just felt called to align more with what I was supposed to be doing, and that is what pushed me into like social justice work. Um, and then from there, I was. I think it just came because I was like, I have a whole special, beautiful being that I love more than life itself. And what world or environment am I creating for this, for this being? And how can I influence it to be better? Because that's what she and I and all of us deserve. And so I was like, the biggest, biggest picture ever. I'm a big picture thinker because my son is in Sagittarius so everything is like big vision to me mm-hmm. and I don't really focus on the details <laughs> too much yep. but that was like my why is why I felt like I was called to to do this work and then just more specifically my work is focused on um, education because I'm an education advocate for a nonprofit here in Seattle and so I navigate um, folks accessing post-secondary um, who have like large barriers, obviously the more marginalized you'll be, the bigger the barriers are to accessing a whole ass system like that. Um, So my expertise, I feel like, is more in higher education advocacy work and in um, social, racial justice in terms of social justice, but of course that intersects with our identities. Oh, of course. And I just love how much you said that your daughter sparked that. Totally. It's amazing what becoming a mother will do. That's what people don't tell you is they'll say, oh, you'll be so tired. And that's true. And like, Mm -hmm. oh, you'll love like you've never loved before. And that's true. But they don't really tell you how like it shifts. For me, it shifted like a moral compass that I always had inside me, but it absolutely made me like step up Mm. so much more to be who I am supposed to be oh my gosh so I literally just it's so funny you said that and it's I have chills because I just finally shared my story of enlightened hood was my step up and it mine was yeah so I literally used that exact words in what I wrote oh of God. that. Got to step up. Yes, I love that. that. So synchronicities are real. Yes, everything is connected. That is so funny. Yeah, because I knew That's I, nice. I had my calling that I knew I needed to empower others and in turn empower mm. myself and you know step up to be your best self to create a better life for you and a, a human that you're bringing into the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yes. It's, it was meant to be. Yeah, I know. I love synchronicities when that happens. It happens right? to me all the time. Me too. Especially now more that I you know when you step into your true self and you're living your most yes. authentic life, how it happens so much more often. I know. I'm like, wow, I was ignoring all of this before. 
Yeah. Because I was like, it must have been like the universe was talking to me. I just was ignoring it. Yeah. Once you start listening yeah. and you look up and oh, it it really, I've been vibrating on such a high level recently and it's just uh-huh. really amazing what happens when you just, you wake up. Yes, that is so true. I love that. So speaking of waking up, how can we as women start to empower ourselves more and really be knowledgeable of our reproductive rights and really, like you said, make this world a better place for us and our daughters and our sons? So, so much. I think that one thing you had already just said is like stepping into your own truth. I think that can look like a lot of different things. For myself, it meant having the courage to tell my own story, despite what I think others may think or feel or judge me on, um, shouting and and standing in that vision or that truth, whatever that may look like for you. Mm-hmm. And I think also coming together in sisterhood, supporting one another in standing in their own truth is extremely important because we can't do this alone and we have to do it together. And so I think sisterhood is also the biggest thing is like cultivating that support system in your own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And absolutely, you know, teaching the next generation to, if you are parenting, if you are a mother, um, new ways to think of our bodies and empowering our children to love themselves and to stand up for one another. Yes. Oh, they said sisterhood. That's when I thought of enlightened head. I was like, well, motherhood, but also sisterhood because for too long, (laughs) we as women have just been putting each other down and that needs to stop. Yeah. And actually, I grew up thinking that same thing that, you know, I didn't have a really, I didn't have many girlfriends in high school Mm -hmm. at all. I probably had just my own sister and my one best friend, Heather. So I really didn't have a group of girlfriends. And so I thought too, like, wow, they judge each other. They um, slut shame Mm -hmm. and they're not nice and they are just not nice. And I, and I think that I regret that time not knowing how powerful sisterhood is mm-hmm. um, because we are doing our own selves a disservice when we don't come together with other women yes. and we don't cover them with love and social emotional support. Mm-hmm. And so it's really not, been, not benefiting anyone when we don't like someone like another woman or don't want to support her. Yeah. So I'm recommending this book to everyone. Um, Have you read Rise, Sister Rise by Rebecca Campbell? No, but I've heard of it. Okay, so you need to read it, one. But she talks about how that we did at one time in our history just have this divine sisterhood. And then what ended up happening is that we started ratting each other out during the witch hunt age. And it just caused Mm. this multi-general multi-generational distrust between women wow right? i'm absolutely gonna download that on audio after this conversation yeah. <laughs> after done. Right? yeah i absolutely believe that too because i do feel like you know we all are connected mm-hmm. especially as divine feminine beings we are so connected mm-hmm. um 
and but I really didn't know why. I just felt like, oh, maybe culturally or like society makes us go against each other. Yeah. I don't know, but like that hit the nail on the head. I'm yeah. definitely gonna read that. Yes, go get it. I highlight. I read it in two days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. I'll probably get there really quick. Yes, too. it's really good. It sounds interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It has been such a pleasure and feeling more empowered about our bodies. And I just love to end with words and words of encouragement. So for anyone out there who feels disempowered in their body or is just ready to step into their authentic self, what are your words of wisdom? Um, do you have words of wisdom first? I'm a reflective processor, so I feel like I have so many things to say, but I don't want to ramble. My words of wisdom, I think just making this podcast full circle is just step up. You can do it. Yes. You have to have the courage. And once you do, magical things will happen. Fuck yes. Yeah. Honestly, I think, can I, can I piggyback on that one? Because oh, I yeah. feel like step up is the theme of my life right now. <laughs> and the fact that you had already been on that same tip makes me feel like just step up because you will be so much more in alignment after you decide to just be courageous and take that leap of faith. Thank you for listening to Enlightened Hood, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and sees the beauty in every woman's why. If you would like to be part of our community, find us on Instagram at Enlightened Hood and subscribe to this podcast where we put out new episodes every Monday and Wednesday.